Okay, so Jonah, just a recap of where we've been so far. Um, Jonah tells, or God tells Jonah to go to the capital city of Nineveh. That's how the story begins. The word of God comes to the prophet, and then normally the prophet says, okay, God, and the prophet goes and says what God tells the prophet to say. Jonah goes the opposite direction. He runs off and gets a ship to Tarshish. Sounds like he pays for the whole ship, and so we're talking about a year-long voyage. Jonah apparently is a man of means, but he's also a prophet of God, and he's going as far as he can in the west in the known world. So you think about how when this country was being settled and people, they wanted to get away from everything, they would just head as far west as they could, right? And that's how we all ended up here, our ancestors did. And so um, Jonah, he's running, he wants to go to Tarshish, this exotic port. And I like to give Jonah the benefit of the doubt. I don't think he was being completely disobedient. I think God said, Jonah, I want you to be my prophet. You're going to be leaving Israel. You're going to be going to prophesy to the, the pagans, okay, to those Gentiles, to those who don't know me. And Jonah says, okay, sounds good, but maybe not Nineveh, where they tend to treat their enemies terribly, like peeling off their skin and setting their heads on spikes. I would rather go to Tarshish. Sounds a lot more fun, so got him going. And Jonah goes, and of course, God sends a storm. And so Jonah finds himself in a boat full of pagans in the middle of a storm with everyone crying out to their God, except for Jonah, who's not saying a word. And so the ship's captain comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, why don't you call out to your God? And so Jonah goes up on the deck and they say, we need to cast lots, figure out who's at fault. And Jonah gets the short straw and they say, what have you, you know, who are you? Where do you come from? He says, oh, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the God of the land and the sea. And they go, what have you done to us? We know you're running away from your God because he apparently told them. And so Jonah says, well, here's what you need to do. In order to survive, you need to throw me overboard, which is very interesting because we don't ever get the sense God is telling Jonah to jump overboard or telling Jonah to tell them to throw him overboard. You think Jonah would say, what I need to do is repent. I've been sinning, or maybe you also need to repent. You're calling out to the wrong gods. Jonah doesn't say any of that. He just says, throw me into the sea. But the crew, even though they are, you know, supposed to be far from God's heart, they don't want to kill Jonah. They try hard to fight the storm and to get back to land. It doesn't work. And so finally, they agree, and they toss Jonah into the sea. The storm abates, and some big fish comes and takes Jonah, and this whole boatload of pagans begin to worship God. Jonah is a prophet even when he doesn't want to be, as we talked about last week. So this is sort of where we left off, and now Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and we're going to read Jonah chapter 2 together. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of the underworld, I cried out for help. You have heard my voice. You had cast me into the depths in the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your strong waves and rushing water passed over me. So I said, I have been driven away from your sight. Will I ever again look on your holy temple? Waters have grasped me to the point of death. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed is wrapped around my head at the base of the undersea mountains. I have sunk down to the underworld. Its bars held me with no end in sight. But you brought me out of the pit. When my endurance was weakening, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. 
Those deceived by worthless things lose their chance for mercy. But me, I will offer a sacrifice to you with a voice of thanks. That which I have promised, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Jonah, there's so many ways we could go. We could just talk about why the fish vomited him instead of placed him. It's, it's the whole story. I hope you're getting a sense of its saltiness. It's intended to be that way. It's intended to grab us in that way. Let's, let's pray as we think about God's word. Lord, we're thankful for the story of Jonah and for the way it instructs us and has been an instruction for your people for a very long time. Lord, we hope to hear your voice and yours alone as we come and we meditate on your word. May it be a light before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I mentioned last week at the end of my sermon, I think it's really good for us to begin at this point too because there's a text that I just can't avoid as we talk about the belly of the whale and that is the text from Matthew 12 where it says this, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. The people of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the proclamation of Jonah and see something greater than Jonah is here. So last week I talked about how Jesus was a fulfillment of everything that Jonah was not. And yet this image of Jonah in the belly of the whale, Jesus in the heart of the grave, there's a link in scripture and it's an important link. And it's also something I think we need to recognize that we don't often pay that much attention to. In other words, if we're doing Holy Week and we're moving towards Easter, like in the tradition of this church, which is not uncommon, we'll do a Good Friday service and we'll have communion together and we'll talk about Jesus' crucifixion. And of course, we have, we have crosses on our walls that remind us of that important moment in the story of the gospel. And then on Easter, we gather and we celebrate the resurrection. But for most of us, that in-between time, what's called Holy Saturday, it's just sort of a normal day. It's just sort of a go-about-your-business kind of day. We don't spend a lot of time often thinking about that period. Jesus, of course, um, the scriptures tell us, descended into the grave overcame and came back but there was this time when there was a darkness Jesus disciples didn't know what was going to happen it's interesting to think about that as we think about Jonah in the belly of some great fish there are times in our lives many times in fact when things are difficult when things are hard when things are dark and the conditions become right for us to turn to God in a new way Often, this happens in our most isolated moments when we feel alone. Often, we realize that 
during these times that so much of what we have been living for is actually not the heart of life at all, which can be discouraging. And yet it can also bring new perspective. We see the illusion of some of the things that we have been chasing after. I'm sure many of you have experienced these moments. I, these have often come to me when I've been at memorial services. I've been in, involved in many, many memorial services um, during my time in ministry. Um, <clears throat> many of them have been people I've been close to, friends in the church. I've been to family memorial services as well for my own family. And those have been times that are in the midst of that darkness, there's also a a new perspective, a rethinking of an opportunity for God to work in a new way. I've also experienced this kind of opportunity at times of deep financial hardship. Excuse me. As I'm sure many of you have as well. And I've experienced these during times of Uh, I've seen, actually, seen others experience this during times of extreme sickness and even surgery, where there's a sense of isolation, a sense of darkness, and yet there's also this sense that maybe God is doing something new out of this, something that I had not seen before. And there's many other examples I could give. It's true that we don't always emerge from these times in resurrection and new life, Sometimes they stay with us much longer. Sometimes people stay there. But the opportunity is always there. This is the gospel we believe in, that in the midst of our darkest times, in the midst of our times of feeling most alone, that right beside that moment is the opportunity for resurrection and new life. Always. Because Jesus is present. And so the question I find myself asking as I come to Jonah is will we cry out to God or will we remain silent? Jonah does. Jonah does cry out to God as both a song and a prayer. But Jonah's prayer isn't original. I don't know if you, as you're reading that, if you thought, this sounds kind of familiar. If you have spent any time hearing the Psalms or even paid attention as Adeline and others have read them on before service, you'll go, wow, a lot of those lines sound like something right out of the Psalms, and that's because they are. Jonah has been to the school of the Psalms. He's obviously been ingrained in it. Every word of his prayer comes from the Psalms. It's just that he mashed them together in his own way and put them together in a new way. Now, should it surprise us that in the story of Jonah, in all of his running, in the midst of the storm, when everyone was saying, Jonah, cry out to your God, And all of that time, Jonah never does. The prophet never does cry out to God until now. Should it surprise us that Jonah doesn't pray until he's thrown into the sea and into the midst of the belly of the whale? I would say yes, it should surprise us because he is a prophet of God after all. This is part of his calling. How can you be a prophet of God if you're not in communication with God? speaking to God on behalf of the people and hearing God's response and sharing it. You would expect this to be one of the most basic tasks of Jonah as prophet. And I guess that reveals to us that Jonah is running away from a lot more than just Nineveh at this point, at the beginning of Jonah. It's also, I think, worth noting that people often assume that other Christians pray more than they do. 
I've had this conversation with a number of folks. I, whenever I'm with a group of pastors, I always assume that every other pastor prays more than I do and that they're all more holy than I am. And they probably all assume the same thing of me. I think there's something common to the Christian experience, the human experience, to assume that other people are more spiritual, perhaps, than we are. It's also really important for us to hear this. A lot of Christians experience guilt that they don't pray enough. This guilt often then prevents people from praying, and so then it becomes a vicious cycle. There's guilt from feeling like you don't pray enough, and then that leads to you not entering into prayer because you feel guilty, and then you don't pray, which makes you feel guilty. And this goes on and on. I know, well, let me just say this. If prayer is a conversation with our God, if it's meant to be both listening and speaking, if it's a conversation, which I believe it is, then we can go to our human relationships for a little bit of of an example here that I find helpful. Whenever we tend to be in conflict or um, have some kind of a relationship breakdown with someone we know, one of the first things that tends to happen is silence. And sometimes that silence extends to the point of being uncomfortable. And we, most of us, if we've lived long enough, we've learned that there's only one way to change that, and that is to just start talking. And sometimes you don't even have to talk about whatever the, the thing is, whatever the breakdown is, but just start talking and just begin to unravel that silence. And I would say it's the same thing with prayer. The times when we feel guilty, it's not that we need to go and we need to fix everything and we need to be somehow saying all the right words to God, but sometimes we just need to start talking. You know, just, just begin the conversation. I know that in my life there's been times when I have certainly felt um, shame for lack of prayer in my life, and I've been aware of that. There's been times when I've felt forced to pray and I hate feeling forced to pray when I've been in small groups. And, you know, this happens more and more often where people ask me to pray. I don't mind being asked because then I feel like it's my choice. But I've been in groups and they said, okay, we're going to go around and we're all going to pray and take a turn to pray. And sometimes I'm just not feeling like I'm in a mood of conversation with God, much less saying it out loud in front of everybody. You need to know that's okay. There's times when I've been around people who who you just know their life is grounded in prayer. Have you ever been around someone like this? And when they begin praying out loud, it's almost like you're entering into a conversation that's already begun. It's not even like it's just starting, right? It's just, it's already going. And, and what I've noticed about those kinds of people is that they're often also very good listeners. I think a lot of our struggle with prayer is that we think we need to be the ones speaking all the time. There's been times when I've been around Christians who pray in very long and very emotional prayers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, necessarily. However, um, we do know that Jesus talked to the Pharisees about how they didn't need to pile up lots of words and go on and on and on and on to get God's attention And I I often bring that up because somehow that has seeped back into our Christian culture that what prayer has become is that you need to say the same thing like a hundred different ways over the period of an hour with lots of emotion and lots of crying and 
tears and hands lifted. And if you haven't been around this, then um, I'm glad because you have sort of a blank slate. Now again, that can be a very powerful prayer experience. Don't get me wrong. I have been in the midst of that kind of prayer that has been very powerful, but I've also been in the midst of that kind of prayer that's manufactured. And I've also been around people who feel like that is the way you have to pray. That can be very hard if you don't have an hour to get really emotionally worked up before God. So prayer doesn't have to be that either. I have a missionary friend, actually he's our missionary, some of the missionaries we support, the Cunninghams, Phil and Amy, and he has this great pattern in his life where he has some alarms set on his phone that go off at set points of the day every day to remind him to pray. So no matter whatever he's doing, his phone, his alarm goes off, and you know how disruptive that can be if you have a phone, and he intends it to be that way in his life. So that he's just reminded in that moment, I need, I'm going to offer a prayer to God. There's someone I'm praying for, I'm going to do that. He prays for me and our, his other pastor friends every Sunday morning. He has an alarm for that. I know he, he's already done that this morning. It's an amazing thing. I personally um, use uh, technology all the time to help me. And so I have an app on my phone. It's called my Echo Prayer app. And I keep track of when any of you or others share things they want me to pray for. I make a point of putting them in there so that I can pray for them so that I'm not just giving lip service to saying, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray for that. You know, I really want to. And so I put those things in there. So whatever works for you, I think there's a lot of ways to be creative here if we're wanting to be more intentional about prayer. I also want to recommend to you, again, a resource that has become very valuable to me. It's very simple. It's not a super sexy thing, which I know is all the rage now in Christian, you know, uh, devotionals and all that kind of stuff. It's just very simple. It comes from our Jesuit uh, brothers and sisters, and it's called Pray As You Go. Pray As You Go. Free app. You can get on any mobile device, and you can plug it into your, you know, your car. You can plug it in with headphones, and it lasts, um, I want to say they're about five-minute sessions, but what I love about Pray As You Go is it reads a lectionary, uh, a lectionary reading, in this case from the, a different lectionary than ours, but that's okay. It takes you through the range of scripture, has a lectionary reading that is read by a different, you know, voice every week, which I like. They also always have some sacred music to begin it, um, which sort of just gives you some reflection time. And then what I love about it is that there's scripture reading and then there's reflection questions and they're not just questions for the head, but they're questions for the heart. And so it leads you into that posture of listening. They designed this app so that if you were sitting on a subway in New York City, you could plug in your your headphones and have some time with God. And I just love that idea that we have some of that stuff out there. So that's a pray as you go is an excellent resource for that. If you want to get more into that posture of prayer where it's not just asking God for a lot of things, but also listening to God. So I said, is it a surprise that our prophet Jonah doesn't pray to God until he's in the whale? And I said, yes, it is a surprise because he's a prophet. But also, no, it's not a surprise because Jonah is not meant to be a biblical hero. Jonah is meant to be someone in relationship with God just as we are in relationship with God. So Jonah, like many of us, doesn't attempt to pray until he's in a desperate situation. And he's finally aware of his total lack of control. Have you ever found this to be true for you? You're in a situation, you're like, I'm at the end of my rope. What can I do? I don't know where to go. I don't know where to get help. Oh, maybe I'll try praying. <laughs> I have certainly been that way. 
And that's okay. That's a great time to pray. Don't get me wrong, but I'm saying we shouldn't be surprised that this happens with Jonah. Jonah is now, if he wasn't before, when he's on the ship that he perhaps paid for the whole thing by himself, or at least he paid for the voyage, Jonah is finally aware, I'm totally out of control. I'm inside the belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea. (laughs) There's nothing I can do here. I'll pray. And Jonah prays. Of course, it would have been far better if Jonah had had a conversation with God before the whale. I think things could have turned out a little bit differently if he had, but notice that God meets Jonah there anyway. He doesn't say, Jonah, you failed too many times. You're on your own. Oh, I hear something God says. It's Jonah. Great. It would be far better if we had a conversation with God before we found ourselves in a crisis. But if we don't, God meets us there anyway. And this brings up a crucial point about prayer. We have a lot of misunderstandings about prayer and about how prayer works. And so I have some of these uh, I just want to share with you this morning. And I could add a lot more to these li- this list. This is just a few of the ones that came into my mind as I was reflecting on this. Some misunderstandings we have about prayer. The first misunderstanding, prayer is not some magical incantation. And again, I think we know this, but at times we treat it this way. As if, if we say the right words, in the name of Jesus, God, your healing hand, Give us traveling mercies. Put a hedge of protection. If you haven't heard these things, there's a whole list of them out there, right? And all those words are fine. But if we're treating prayer like a magical incantation, if we just say the right words in the right order, in the right voice, with the right people or the right place, that God will just, you know, magically do what we want, we're misunderstanding prayer. In fact, I would argue that prayer is... um, best when it's either in our own voice or in the voice of those who have come before us. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Prayer, another misconception, prayer is not based on how often and how long we pray. I think this is a huge one. And this is why we run into so much guilt on prayer. Jesus said, when you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. But don't be like them because your father knows what you need before you ask. Pray like this. And then what does Jesus say? Does anybody know? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Then he gives the Lord's Prayer, which is one of the reasons we use it. If you want a model of prayer, Jesus gave us a model of prayer. I'm so glad. If we didn't have that, just think of what we'd be missing because there's all these questions we wish people would have asked Jesus and would have been recorded in the Bible. Someone actually went to Jesus, the disciples, and said, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says, well, you don't need to pile up words like the Gentiles do. They don't have to be empty and meaningless and think that God will hear you if you do that. Here's a prayer, and as you notice, it's a pretty short prayer, isn't it? Again, but I think part of the Protestant reaction to the Lord's Prayer has been that people have, Christians have treated it like a magical incantation, that if you just say those words a lot of times, that God will forgive you, that God will give you what you want. And that's not the way the Lord's Prayer is meant to be used either. Okay, third thing. Prayer is not like a telephone call. 
and this is where I have to repent a little bit because when I did youth ministry, this is one of the things we used to do. We used to say, hey, who would like to dial up and who's going to hang up, you know, when we do prayer, right? <laughs> because it's, it's just one way of, of trying to get, you know, people to enter into prayer. And so what you're asking is who will start out by praying out loud and who's going to close us so we're not sitting around all awkwardly waiting for someone to close. But the problem with that idea is thinking that prayer is like something where we say, Dear Jesus, I'm dialing God. Now God's listening. Now I'm talking to God. Amen, I'm done. Now I can go on. I'm not talking to God anymore. Prayer is not like a telephone call. Prayer is meant to be like an ongoing conversation. And this is why why Paul can say pray at all times. In other words, that as Christians, we're meant to be um, a, a priesthood of all believers, that we're meant to be bringing God with us in every situation in our life. So you can be having with a conversation with somebody else and you can be in prayer. You know, you can say, I'm going to pray for you. And you can be saying, God, please help this person with these things right now. I mean, you don't have to wait till some other time. It's not like a telephone call. Prayer is not a way to convince God to give or to do something that God doesn't want to do. Now, again, I think this is, there's a little bit of a distortion of some of the Bible's teaching in Luke 11, there's a parable of a persistent neighbor who goes on the door and is knocking and knocking and knocking, right? And Jesus says that eventually the neighbor comes and opens the door in the middle of the night because the neighbor is persistent. And there is a teaching in being persistent in prayer, but some people have turned that into, you need to bother God, and if you bother God enough, God will be like that neighbor and will finally get out of bed and do something for you. When in fact, if you keep reading in Luke 11, you find out that right after that, Jesus says God is so much better than earthly fathers who won't give bad presents to their kids if they ask for a stone. They're not, I mean, ask for bread, they're not going to give them a stone or something terrible. God's not like that. God is not like the persistent neighbor. All you have to do is ask and seek and knock and the door will be opened, right? And that's revelation. But still, that idea that Jesus will meet us there. So God is not, (laughs) prayer is not about trying to convince God to do something God doesn't want to do. Prayer is also not more effective if it's, and powerful if it's spontaneous. I love spontaneous prayer. You probably noticed that because we use a lot of it in worship. I love speaking to God from my heart and using my own words, and I think that's a very powerful way to pray. But there is this tendency to think that prayer is better somehow if it's done that way. There are in other words, that if you just pray using your own words spontaneously, that somehow that prayer is more effective than praying the Lord's Prayer, for example. And we need to be reminded that for 2,000 years, our brothers and sisters in Christ have traditionally used our book of prayer, the Psalms, as their way of praying. When we find Jonah praying, Jonah is using the language of the Psalms. That book is in our scriptures for a reason. That Psalms are at the beginning and the end of every lectionary reading, if you do daily lectionary readings, for a reason as well. There's morning Psalms and there's evening Psalms. I believe that if we want to learn how to pray, if we want to go to the school of prayer, if we don't have the words to pray, We can find no better place than to go to the Psalms. It doesn't matter what translation, really. 
Just jump in. Jonah's prayer, Jonah's prayer is coming from a disobedient runaway prophet. And he's been to the school of Psalms and he finds himself in the belly of the whale and I can't imagine, or I, I say whale because that's what I was taught, that, you know, some fish, whatever. I mean, the situation, as far-fetched as it may seem, is intended to bring up the image, right? Pitch blackness. The sounds, the smells, <laughs> the feel. I don't even want to think about the feel, right? Constantly wet, I'm sure. I mean, it's not, an, it's not a comfortable place, right? Most of the psalms are in the language of what we call lament, Lament, the majority of them, and I think we miss this. We, we feel like we're not allowed to pray that way, and yet the Psalms teach us that's an important way to pray. Lament, crying out to God. God, why haven't you acted? My life is in the dumps, God. That's the majority of the, the Psalms. And yet, Jonah, this disobedient runaway prophet, when he finally speaks a prayer, he speaks a prayer of praise. Of praise. I'm not sure what Jonah thought would be the result of his ride in the belly of the fish. The sea is a terrifying enough place, much less being submerged inside of some other animal. But there's something in Jonah, I'm guessing years of prayer, that leads him to cry out to God and to cry out to God with praise. I mentioned last week, I truly believe the story is intended to tell us that when Jonah went overboard, he was intending that to be the end of his life. Now he's in the belly of the whale and he's praying praise. And then, right away, as if to make it clear that there's a connection, Jonah is vomited up on dry land. He's back in the land of the living. Jonah's story is a story of good news. It's a, it's a gospel story. Because the story is repeated over and over and comes to its fruition in Jesus Christ that where so often we look and we see only death, God brings about life, miraculous life. And prayer is an essential tool given to us as a gift to connect into that reality, this reality that's so much greater than anything that we can see or feel or hear or touch or expect. Everything around you can be smelly and dark and feel disgusting. And through prayer, we can tap into this reality that is a connection to the source of life. Every time we choose to pray, we enter into a conversation with the one who brings death from life, the one who brings light from darkness, the one who will never leave you, the only one who will never forsake you. In light of all that, I want to end my sermon by reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's pray. God, you are our refuge and strength. We never know how you will respond in our life, but we know that you always desire what is good for us. So God, we cry out this morning for our own lives, for the things that feel like darkness and isolation to us right now. We're calling out to you, God, the giver of life, the maker of miracles. And on behalf of all of those that we love and care about, especially those whom the world has discarded and said they have no value, we cry out to you, God, the author of life. We call out on their behalf, knowing that you will do your work, and it is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.